Well, hey there, church. My name is Frank Lucas, and I am one of the pastors for Community Covenant Church. And as always, it is an absolute blessing, uh, privilege, and honor to be able to share God's Word with you today, whenever that may be, whenever you may be tuning in. Uh, but first things first, really before we dive into this morning, I just want to give a shout out to Pastor Chris. What a tremendous job last week. We took a little break from our series, What About, to celebrate moms and women in general. Just a refreshing, unique, and encouraging perspective uh, that he shared with us on Proverbs 31. And if you didn't catch it, I'd like to invite you to go back and check that out. It was awesome. Uh, so well done, Pastor Chris. Thank you so much for that. Now with that today, uh, I just want to dive right in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. So if you have a Bible handy, I'd like to invite you to turn there with me. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but while you're turning there, uh, a couple things I want to get through right off the bat. Number one, as always, I have a lot of information that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, so some grace is appreciated. If you need to go back and rewatch or hit pause, uh, feel free to do so. The second thing is this. Today's message uh, has a rating, uh, and that rating would be PG-13. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, certainly not going to be vulgar. We're not going to be graphic by any stretch of the imagination. However, we are going to be talking about some very real issues. After all, our topic this morning is lust, and some of the words, some of the phrases that we'll be using could potentially make little ears perk up. And I don't want to force you into having some conversations you may not be ready to have uh, with your little ones. That's not my intent at all, uh, which is why we're putting this little warning up there for you, just to let you know. Uh, at church, we have the opportunity to step out into the lobby or the cafe or into a family ministry space if needed. Uh, but at home, you may not have that opportunity uh, in a moment like this. So that being said, moving forward from this point on, uh, the service is going to be PG-13. Third, uh, I think it's really helpful for us to just take a very quick look at the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety. Uh, it's something that we always have to do. We have to always take into consideration the context in which Jesus is speaking and teaching. And so with that, the Sermon on the Mount, it begins in Matthew 5, verse 3, essentially with the Beatitudes. It's the virtues of a kingdom citizen, one who loves God and loves others. One who loves God and loves others. Then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, what he does is he goes on to clarify for us our purpose, our calling, that we are to be salt and light. Salt of the earth and light of the world. But all of that, what does it do? It, it starts at home. And now more than ever do we have an opportunity to be salt and light in our homes. From there, Jesus goes on to talk about what I would suggest are all the different areas of our life that can tend to sneak up and get in the way of us living as kingdom citizens, of, uh, that get in the way of us living fully our calling to be salt and light. So uh, Pastor Greg shared with us a message on the law and how, we've, uh, how we understand the law, shared with us a message on anger and how anger is the beginning of, or can lead to murder. Uh, and then uh, this week we're going to be talking about lust. But uh, the coming weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to just walk through week, uh, week after week, topic after topic, as Jesus addresses them in the Sermon uh, on the Mount. So, that being said, here we are, Matthew 5, 27. So if you have your Bible handy, turn with me there. Uh, and I want to invite you, just as if we were gathered together uh, in a space 
uh, to stand with me uh, as we read aloud God's Word together. We'll have the words on the screen for you in case you don't have your Bible, but really, really want to encourage you to read with us. We'll be in the English Standard Version, the ESV, just in case your words don't line up with our words. But that being said, let's dive right in. Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we ask that as we, as we begin to dive in and, and try to understand what it is that you're sharing with us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our minds and our ears and our eyes, that we may see you as, you as you reveal to us what it's like to live as a kingdom citizen. Father, we ask that you be the primary teacher here this morning, and we can't wait to thank you for all that you're doing in moments like these. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, well, what about my lust? Why even talk about lust? Well, aside from the fact that it's simply the next passage up in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a very real issue, one that I think we certainly have to address. It cannot be overlooked. Far too often, we tend to engage with material that makes us feel good, uh, material that we want to hear, rather than what we need to hear. We live in an on-demand culture where we can pick and choose what we choose to engage with. Think we have Spotify and Pandora. Uh, we can go and search what we want to find on YouTube. We can turn, tune into Netflix or Prime or Hulu and pick and choose what shows we want to see. We can skip over what ads we don't want to watch. We live in an on-demand culture, and if we're not careful, we can allow that to sneak into our faith as well. And we can start to pick and choose what parts of this we want to engage with, and we have to be really careful not to do that. That's why we need to take some time to address the very real issue of lust. I was just 10 or 11 years old when this happened. Uh, my friend and I quietly snuck down into his basement. I had no idea what was about to happen. It was like a scene out of a movie. We came up to this little trunk. Uh, it was actually a pretty big trunk, if I recall correctly, and uh, it was covered in dust, uh, which is probably a good thing as I look back at it. But we opened it up, and what did we find? A ton of magazines. And they weren't comic books either. Um, they weren't comic books. And, and what my little eyes saw, it like made the hair on my arms stand up on end. And, and the title of these magazines, hundreds of them, Playboy. I, I want you to think about that. Think about the youthful uh, attraction in that, right? And, and how it appeals to youth. Play? Yeah, I'm 10. I'd love to play. Boy? I'm a boy. All right, let's dive in. Let's see what you got for me. So what do I do? I open up these magazines and my little eyes, oh my goodness, it's like I was paralyzed. This, these, this flood of emotions came over me that I did not understand. 
My body started to feel things that I've never really felt before. I wanted to look away, but it's like I couldn't. I was, I was paralyzed in this moment. Fortunately, though, uh, this moment was disrupted by the sound of footsteps up above, and we closed, put the magazines back, we closed the trunk and put it, put it away and snuck back outside and went on to ride our bikes. But I couldn't stop thinking about what I saw that morning. Here's the thing. That was a quarter of a century ago. Here we are in today's day and age where we don't have to sneak into a basement and and find a trunk filled with magazines. We literally have access to whatever we want on demand uh, at our fingertips. And so uh, I I think sometimes we may feel like these sort of stories or situations are unique. However, the reality is they weren't then and they aren't now. Some staggering statistics for you this morning. The average age of exposure to pornography is 11. 11. According to some studies, nearly 30% of the entire internet is dedicated to pornography and sex. And while this is a hard one to quantify, you see numbers ranging all over the place, this seems to be where most land. Approximately 25% of all internet uh, or web searches are related to pornography and sex. There are applications dedicated to pornography and sex that are being created for our tablets and smartphones at an astounding rate, at one that we simply cannot keep up with. 70% of all pornography uh, consumption takes place during the work hours of 9 to 5. 70% during work. A study of adults between 18 and 35 show that 87% of men engage with pornography at least weekly, 87%. Now women, you may feel like you're off the hook. However, this number is on the rise as well. 29% of women in that age range engage with pornography weekly as well. Well, you may be thinking, all right, well, that's the secular world. What about the evangelical Christian world? Well, I would love to say that the numbers tell a much better story. However, it's really not much better at all. Among evangelical Christians, 64% of Christian men engage with it monthly, and 15% of Christian women engage with pornography monthly. Some other numbers that you may find staggering. 37% of pastors struggle with pornography. 25% of husbands commit adultery. 12% of wives commit adultery. If these numbers, if these statistics don't make you uh, feel a little uneasy or squirm, I, I don't know what will. Pastorally, I'm not sharing this information with you for condemnation's sake. The last thing we need is the church uh, to share more condemnation on culture. The purpose, however, of sharing this information uh, and addressing this topic is simply to point to the fact that we are broken, way more broken than we want to admit, and we are in desperate need of a Savior. The church, Community Covenant Church, we need to be a safe place for you. If the church, the the body of believers at large, cannot be a place for us to address the inerrant brokenness that exists within us as a result of sin and be a safe place for us to deal with that in a healthy way, why then do we exist? Right? If, If we can't talk about this stuff, why do we even exist? 
Now, am I sharing all this for the purpose of shaming? Absolutely not. That's not my intention. If it comes across it, uh, that way in any way uh, at all throughout this message, I'm terribly sorry. Not my goal. However, I'm not going to lie and say that I hope this finds uh, to be a little convicting for you. This should make you feel a little uneasy because we are broken and we need to come to terms with that. The fact of the matter is this, there has to be a radical and thorough diagnosis before we can ever begin to even think about what the treatment options are. So quickly we want to skip over to the treatment option without really beginning to understand what the root problem is. Now you may be thinking, well, a lot of what I'm talking about uh, and what I just shared for, uh, with you is pornography, not just about adultery specifically. And yes, but here's why I share that. Just as murder begins with anger, so then does adultery begin with lust. That's what Jesus is trying to get to. He's trying to get to the, the heart of the problem, which happens to be our heart. It's a matter of your heart, not just your actions. So let's take a moment and look at the scene set for us in the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus is sitting on a mountainside, perhaps in a way that would resemble or remind his listeners, his original audience, of Moses. In fact, I'm sure that it did. Jesus went on to quote Moses uh, over and over and over again. In fact, the passage that we looked at, uh, Jesus quoted Moses. You heard that it was said. He then goes on to quote the seventh commandment found in Exodus and Deuteronomy. But then what Jesus does is, is radical. I love this. Out of a desire to bring true understanding to his people, Jesus intentionally disrupts our false understanding. He goes on to bring a new and greater depth to what Moses shared generations earlier. And what I love about that is this. It's not uh, one that didn't exist previously. It's not a new idea. It's simply one that was overlooked originally. Because just like today, people focus on what they want to hear, not necessarily what they need to hear. We filter out what could cause us harm. We all do this. Naturally, we tend to hear what we want to hear. If we think something is going to cause us harm or uh, discomfort, we, we choose to ignore it. So if adultery includes lust, even if that's the intent of the law, we're more than likely going to filter that out because it's going to protect us and make us feel less guilty. We justify by any means our own righteousness. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law reduced the spirit of the law for this purpose. They reduced the spirit of the law down to the letter of the law to make it attainable. And in doing so, what did they do? They made it completely, uh, they, they, they missed the point entirely. And for thousands of years, we missed the point. And I think in many ways, we still do. The point being, and how I see it, is this. Uh, stay with me. This is going to sound funny at first. The commandments were not meant to be a set of rules for us to follow, but rather a set of commands that were meant or intended to break us. Now, I know that sounds radical, and I think in many ways it is, but I think it really gets to the heart of the matter. I don't believe the commandments or even the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount was ever meant to be a way in which we were to 
uh, find favor with God. The Sermon on the Mount is not an instruction manual for righteous living. Do this in your inn. No, that's not what we're saying here. The, these rules, these commandments, the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are there designed specifically, I think spiritually speaking anyway, to break us and help us realize and understand and come to terms with the fact that we are broken and we are in need of a Savior. The Ten Commandments demand of us a righteousness that we could not possibly attain on our own accord. Think about that. They demand of us a righteousness that we simply cannot attain on our own. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. He's not wiping it away. He's bringing a greater depth and understanding to it. He's providing us, through his life, death, and resurrection, a way where there was no way otherwise. So with that, our text again, Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard it said, Moses, that uh, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Jesus, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent lustful intent, pay attention to that phrase, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, real quick, I recognize the pronouns here read to be a bit gender-specific. However, this applies to both men and women equally. Know that. Second, Jesus, I think, is really careful here to look past the action and point to our hearts. So, we understand that adultery is wrong, and we're beginning to see that it starts with lustful intent, I think it's really important for us to dive in a little bit to what lustful intent is and what it is not. Here's how I would define lustful intent. Lustful intent is to look upon a person, either sexually or emotionally, in a way that creates a desire to have what is not covenanted to you. Now, another word for covenanted here could be promised. However, I think that's a, uh, a little bit of a softer term. Covenanted is a little stronger. Lustful intent is a desire to have what is not promised, not covenanted for you to have. Now that can sound a bit possessive. It could sound even a little archaic to us, what is promised to you. But here's the thing, church. That's the reality of what a true covenantal marriage is. Right? You give of yourself. You are committing of yourself wholly, physically and spiritually and emotionally to the other person. That's what marriage is. That's what God designed between man and woman. And now here's the thing. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks, but we need to keep this in the back of our minds here. This is what lustful intent is, to look sexually or emotionally and desire something that is not promised to us. What lustful intent is not, however, is this. When you look towards the needs of the other as greater than your own. That's not lust. That's love. To put it real simply is this, lust, the needs of self, love, the needs of others. Now, if we're not careful, we can sometimes confuse these two and we can start to justify in our minds, well, I'm doing this for their sake. I'm just doing what they want of me. Don't kid yourself. It's easy to get into that trap and I want to urge you to fight against that. But let's go back here for a few moments. Notice how I said in the definition of lustful intent that it includes both physical and emotional desire. I think physical desire is, is kind of self-explanatory. I don't need to get too graphic and talk about that with you. 
Some of us, however, may feel like we were off the hook when I started talking about lust. No lustful desires, physically speaking, check, you're good. Respectfully, I would, I would ask you to, to really look in the mirror. Who, who are you kidding? Right? Who are you kidding? That, that's beside the point. What about emotionally? If this first one, if physically or sexual desire didn't check off the box for you, let's think about emotional desire. Do you find yourself connecting with someone emotionally in a way that may be pushing the boundaries of what is appropriate? There may very well be an emotional connection that you are cultivating, that you are nurturing day in and day out with someone or potentially even something. It could even be a position where you are praised that is just as every bit as dangerous, if not more so, than one that is physical in nature. That is a very, very easy trap to fall into, one that is extremely difficult to get out of. Culturally, we've reduced adultery and we've reduced sex down to mere physical acts. However, it is so much more. God designed it to be so much more than that. We can commit adultery physically, yes, and we can commit it emotionally. Both, however, start with lustful intent, desiring what is not right, what is not for you to have. You see, church, when we measure ourselves against the standards that the Pharisees and the standards uh, of the culture around us today set for us, we can start to feel pretty good about ourselves. Yeah, I'm doing all right here and here, and yeah. But what about when we measure ourselves against the standards of God's holiness and perfect righteousness? How do we measure up then? So what now? The diagnosis is pretty bleak. What's the treatment? Thankfully, Jesus goes on to to share more with us in this passage, maybe a bit more practical. He gives us a little guidance here. It may be guidance that we don't want to hear, though. In verse 29, Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. As I was studying and preparing for this week, here's what I found. The first is this, Jesus, he starts with our eyes, not with our hands. He's cutting straight to our hearts. Before Jesus ever talks about the external, he wants to talk about the internal. And we see this theme throughout all of Jesus' teachings. The second thing I see is this, it's extreme. It is absolutely extreme, but that's because it's supposed to be. It has to be. Jesus is trying to convey the severity of this issue 
to us. We need to see sin and understand our brokenness in such a way that we would do absolutely anything, go to any length necessary to forsake it. That we would be willing to separate from the very best parts of us, our ability to see, our ability to feel, and to touch, so that we can rid ourselves of the brokenness that resides within us. It seems extreme, and that's on purpose. It's because it is extreme, because extreme measures are required for extreme circumstances. Now, I also think that here Jesus is, in some way, coming around some of the obvious objections that would be presented. I I can almost imagine him hearing some mumbling among the crowd as he's sharing here about lust. Well, Jesus, I have eyes, right? I have eyes, and I can't exactly control what others do, how they dress, and and how I see, to which Jesus responds, oh yeah, cut out your eyes. Stop making it about them and look at you. You can control what you see. Stop looking, right? Cut out your eyes. You can't blame someone else for your sinful desire. I think Jesus really specifically here is talking about the Pharisees in this moment. They blamed women for their sexual temptations. So rather than address their sinful desires, what do they do? They created laws that prevented women from dressing in a way that would tempt them sexually. Yeah, that seems archaic, but don't we still kind of do this a little bit today? They rationalize their desires to blame others rather than self in the same way we do now. Well, she didn't want me to stare. She wouldn't have worn a blouse that really was, yeah. If he didn't want me to look, he wouldn't have posted that picture on Instagram without his shirt on. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to go so far as to suggest that there's not something going on uh, in, in these people, right? in people that dress a certain way or act out a certain way or do certain things. I'm not going to go so far as to say that. I I think there's certainly things there that need to be addressed. However, we cannot use that as an excuse to look past the sinful desires of our hearts. We need to stop justifying our sin. It's that simple. If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. Jesus is saying, if you can't handle the heat in the kitchen, it may be time for you to get out of the kitchen. If you can't handle the temptation that your phone causes you, get rid of it. Here's a newsflash. You're going to survive. 15 years ago, before the advent of the iPhone, we were just fine. Go back to a flip phone. Can't find a flip phone? Get rid of your phone. You're not that important. I know you'd like to think you are. I know I like to think I am. But guess what? We can check our email at work and then leave it until the next day. We can justify all we want these technologies. However, if they're going to cause us to stumble, get rid of them. If Facebook is causing you to romanticize others and live a life of what-ifs, particularly around exes, and this happens all the time on Facebook, if you're living a life of what-ifs, thinking, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if we did this? What if I said this? What if we reconciled here? Oh, what my life would be like. You know what? Shut that sucker down. It's time to get rid of Facebook if that's how you're using it. Well, what about Instagram? Your, your feed being populated with scantily clad women or perhaps uh, scantily clad men? Something that's causing your eyes to see something you shouldn't see? Here's an idea. Unfollow the accounts that you need to unfollow. Better yet, delete the app. I would argue it's a waste of time anyway. I'm guilty of it. I stinking love Instagram. However, you may, it may be time to set that aside. Gouge out the eye. Cut off the hand. It seems extreme, and it is because it requires extreme measure. Is what Jesus is saying here hyperbole? 
Maybe. But maybe not. Only you can answer that. I don't know what the treatment is for you specifically. I can only talk about what I need. There's a scene in what I would argue is one of the funniest movies of all time. Certainly in my top 10. Uh, Tommy Boy. Love that movie. It's hysterical. At the end of the film, Tommy is standing in the elevator uh, with a character played by Dan Aykroyd. And uh, Tommy's getting ready for a big, a big meeting. So when he's in the taxi, he freshens up a little bit. Freshens up a little bit. And, and so they're in the elevator together, Tommy and Dan Aykroyd. And Aykroyd says uh, to Tommy, Want a little heavy on the pine tree perfume there, kid? And Aykroyd, uh, Tommy replies, It's a taxi cab air freshener. Dan Aykroyd replies, Great, you've pinpointed it. Step two, wash it off. I love that. It's so profound, so simple at the same time. Number one, identify the problem. Lustful intent. Boom. Check. All right. Wash it off. Not as easy to check. Right? Like, how, how do we do that? So, so how do we go about this? Now, I could provide you a list of practical steps. Uh, over like Lots of practical steps you could take. We could talk about content filters, accountability partners, support groups, all these sorts of things. And all that is great, and we'll probably talk about that in our midweek meetup. We'll put the information for that in the comments down below. Uh, that's Wednesday at noon, so you're going to want to tune in there. Uh, but here's the thing. I think there's essentially two things that are required of us as we read this text today. The first is this. We need to bring into light what you've been keeping in the darkness. What I would argue to say you've been hiding in the darkness. What we've been hiding in the dark. Nothing good ever grows in the dark. Nothing. Now, I want to encourage you to have a conversation with someone that you trust. Someone that cares about you. I'd suggest that you start with your spouse. However, if that's not a good spot for you to start right now, maybe a trusted friend. If you're single, um, this applies to you too in your singleness, uh, a holy singleness. Uh, Find someone that you trust that you can talk to and confess this to them. If you don't have anyone that you feel uh, in your life that you can trust and that you can talk to, whether it be a spouse or a really trusted friend, you can always reach out to us. Uh, You can email us. It's our first name at communitycovenant.church. You can go on our website and find out how to get in touch with us. You can text us. You can put a comment below. You don't have to say anything. Just say, hey, we need to get in touch. We'll get in touch with you, and then we'll have a conversation. We would be more than happy to walk alongside of you and, and help you figure this thing out. In Matthew 21, it says this, Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> but anyone whom it falls will be crushed. Dealing with this is going to be painful. It is going to be hard. It will break you into pieces. It's not a matter of if it will. It will break you into pieces. It's going to be hard. But those pieces can, can, right, and will make you into a beautiful masterpiece if you allow Jesus to do so with your life. You can deal with this now, or you can roll the dice and see what happens later. My suggestion, however, for whatever that may be worth to you, why put off till tomorrow what you know you need to deal with in this moment? Why wait? 
Will this be a difficult conversation? Most certainly. Probably the most difficult of your life. But you need to ask yourself, is it worth a few days, weeks, months, or maybe even years of pain in order to experience the freedom and life in Christ that is yours to be had on the other side? Would you not undergo uh, some painful, excruciating chemotherapy for the promise of life and the hope of life on the other side of it? You wouldn't even hesitate. We're talking about an eternity here. Why hesitate? Why put off what you need to deal with? Now, a word for our spouses and a word for our friends. We absolutely have to extend grace. We have to. We need to create a safe place where these conversation, conversations excuse me, can take place. If someone doesn't feel safe, they will not be open, they will not be vulnerable. Our natural reaction may be one of anger. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Back, go back and rewatch. It could be one of disappointment. And while these emotions, uh, I would argue, are even justified, merited, warranted, whatever, um, I get it. Here's the thing. We are called to love others. Right? Our response could be that of lust in this moment or of love looking to the needs of self or looking to the needs of others. If you want to have an open and honest, healthy dialogue, you need to do your part to make that possible. The second thing that I think the text calls of us is this. We need to acknowledge that our greatest weapon against this, against lustful intent, is a growing and vibrant, very vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Without this, you will most certainly stray. You will most certainly stumble. We need to actively take steps by the power of the Holy Spirit to not simply just know the Word of God, but to know the God of the Word. Let me say that again. We need to take active steps to not just know the Word of God, but to know the Word of God. It needs to go from our head to our heart, and far too often we get caught up with knowing God in our heads. And that all starts really by acknowledging our need for Him, our need for a Savior. And we do this daily. In order for us to experience the freedom that can only be found in Christ, we need to give Him unfettered access to all of who we are, every last bit of it, even our brokenness. Like the younger son in Luke 15, we need to run home. We need to trust that our Heavenly Father will greet us with arms stretched wide the way He does for us on the cross. Because that's his posture. He's standing there, arms stretched wide, waiting for you to bring this to him so he can do what only he can do. There is no sin. Listen to me. There is no sin so deep, no secret so devastating that the love poured out for you on the cross cannot overcome it. The cross of Christ 
paid for all of it. Sins past, sins present, sins future, provided that you are willing to confess them and lay them down at his feet so he can do with you, so he can take these broken pieces and mold you into a beautiful masterpiece. But you have to lay it down at his feet. That is hard to do. That is painful. It is difficult to take that posture to surrender, but you have to. If you want to experience this freedom, this is the only way to it. It's then and only then that we'll begin to experience the, the transformation of our hearts. Where we'll begin to experience the renewing of our minds. Where our desires for self are now transformed and, and changed into desires for God and others. The virtues of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the Beatitudes, love God and love others. Self isn't in there. We do all this in a hopeful, confident expectation that we will hear Jesus say, just as he did to the woman at the well in John chapter 8, who, mind you, was caught in the physical act of adultery, the penalty for which is death, where he says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, sin no more. Live the life that I have set out for you. That is the call of Christ this morning. Whatever you have done, you've done. I've paid for it. I've paid the price for you. But you need to confess it. You need to lay it at my feet so I can pick up those broken pieces and mold you into the person that I've created you to be. So you can experience life in all of its fullness, in all of its beauty. That's the hope we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are more now than perhaps ever before, aware of our desperate need for you. Lord, we are more aware now of our desperate need of grace, of your love, of your forgiveness. And while the weight of our brokenness may seem, it may feel overwhelming, we are reminded and we cling to the hope that nothing is impossible through you. We cling to the promises of you that there are nothing, there is nothing that could ever separate us from your love. No sin so great, no secret so devastating. So God, we cling tight to those truths this morning. Lord, I know and trust that for some, they may be hearing the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, for the first time. And so, Lord, I would pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would stir something in their hearts, that they may receive you, that they may acknowledge their brokenness, that they may lay down at your feet their, their sin, confess their need for you as a Savior over their lives. And, and really, Lord, for, for our church in its entirety, that we would continue to offer ourselves to you, that we would lay down our brokenness day in and day out. Lord, that you would do what only you 
are capable of doing. Lord, we know it's difficult. We know it's painful. But Father, what we see in Your Word is that it's worth it. It's worth it. So Father, we thank You now for the hearts that are being changed, not by my words, but by the power of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank You for that. We pray these things in the name of Your Son, by whom all things are possible, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.